0: morning church my name is pastor scott so glad to be with you here as we're coming to a close in the series uh called summer shorts small books big questions for many of these books people have to go to the table of contents jude it's been a while maybe since we've been jude but really really excited about uh this part of the text being able to share god's word with you this morning I pray that it would just change all of us so let me pray and we'll begin father thank you so much for this morning uh we gather together as men, women, young and old uh, to be shaped by you. We're mindful, Lord, that for some it's been just a summer of celebration and we stand in celebration with them. Brothers, Lord, they're in a very, very different place this morning. And we pray that your word would be a light unto our paths and that it would draw us uh, to you. Make us more like you. Help us understand your love and your obedience more even today. In your name we pray. A- Amen. The book is Jude. Your sermon title today is called Keeping from Coasting. Keeping from Coasting as we study pretty much all of Jude. I hope you brought your Bibles. We're going to look at it today. Um, keeping from Coasting. I don't know if you've had this experience of coasting in a vehicle because you're out of gas. I had this experience a couple of years ago. I was uh, driving north on the island highway trying to get to my other job at the time in northern B.C., and I had left in a hurry, I had cut some corners, there's a place, the last place to fuel up for the last two hours, and I was in too big of a hurry, and so I cut some corners and headed north. I thought we probably would be fine, and it's, you know, that's pretty metaphorical. Oftentimes when we find ourselves out of gas, it's because we've cut some corners, we haven't prepared well. In, in my case, I had made some mistakes. I had left people at home that needed me to stick around, but I was heading to this job, it was now almost 11.30 at night, the... I was, I was still some 30 minutes from the home base where there was going to be a boat waiting for me and then I would cross over in the dark to, uh, to this island where we were working. It's a different story for a different day. But now, I'm at 11.30 and, and I'm watching the gas tank go from you know a 4th to an 8th to a 16th and you're like, how can it be going so fast? And I'm praying like crazy because so often when trouble hits... What happens for many of our prayer life, the prayers get more fervent, right? So I'm like, Lord Jesus, you know, you're the maker of heaven and earth, the maker of this Dodge pickup, like, magnify these gas fumes, Lord. And then the gas light comes on, and I was like, interesting. I didn't even know there was a gas light in this vehicle. Like, I'd never run it that low, and I'm thinking... Gosh, how how much time do I possibly have? And so I don't know if anyone's done this, but I would I would you know speed up the hills and then put it in neutral, kept the engine running and then coast down. Anybody ever do that when you just really need? Okay, there's a few of us. Yeah, all right. The rest of you like no, we get gas when you need to. But I'm telling you, I was in a hurry at the time. I'm not sure why. And and so I would you know speed up the hills, put it in neutral, pray like crazy, coast, but in speed and coast, speed and coast. And I mean I was like. I was exhausted because I was praying, like, God, seriously, I, I need some help here. And, and, you know, long story short, I literally coasted into town. The final stretch to where I was going, it's all this big, long downhill, coasted. The engine didn't die. It's, it's a miracle did not. I made it. And it did feel like, in a way, it felt like a little mini miracle. I don't know if you kind of had those experiences where it feels like, all right, this wasn't a major miracle, but definitely a mini miracle. I didn't run out of gas on this highway and spend the night in my truck I had to go to work at 4 the next morning. But I just was thinking about that like this wasn't the way that we were intended. And for so many of us, as we kind of wrap up the summer and step into the fall, life's about to change. And we have this propensity to kind of sprint, 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 and then coast, and sprint, and coast. And oftentimes, it's easy in our modern world to feel like, we're out of gas. The book of Jude communicates a different message: that we are kept by this presence of Christ, and that we are kept from coasting away from from disobedience, coasting away from ways in which Christ isn't filling us and fulfilling us for the journey we're about to begin. Parents, people with roommates. Indy, people kind of getting ready for all of us in the room aligned under the same principle. We don't want to be sprinting and coasting and kind of constantly feeling like we're out of gas. Jesus has a message for us this morning. How do we keep from coasting and stay centered on the absolute bedrock of our life Jesus Christ? This comes from the book of Jude. This little, little book that has this big answer to this question, will we actually trust God with our life? Because in Jude, if we trust God with our life and trust that he's keeping us in his spirit, then we'll have fuel for the road ahead. So may this be an encouragement to us as we kind of turn towards the text. Hope you brought your Bibles. We're going to use them in Jude. Now Jude, we don't know a ton about him, but we know a bit about him. Jude is, is probably a brother of James, which makes him a brother of Christ himself. He was one of the 12. His actual name was Judas Thaddeus. Scholars believe he was one of the 12. But because of Judas Iscariot, the church just... Wanted to differentiate and they just called him Jude. It may have been the same disciple who in Matthew 10.3 called Judas the zealot. So he's, he's passionate. He, he's, got a, he's got a fire burning. We get some of that in, in the text today where he's encouraging and he's preaching to people that need good news. And it perhaps Jude is perhaps the same disciple as John 14.22. Or one of the disciples said, Lord, how will you manifest to us and not the world? This Jude Has questions. Has questions. We want to always be asking questions of, in our faith. God, I want, I want more of you. I want more of your life in me. God, I believe you're the answer to the questions we're facing. We, we don't want to have a faith that doesn't have answers to our relationships, answers to our jobs, answers to the, the questions and challenges we face. And so the question this morning is, is, will we trust God with our lives? And will that actually sustain us? Will that be fuel for the road ahead? Because for God's people, they were called then not to be coasting. For God's people now, church, were called not to be coasting. Not to coast, but to stay centered and refueled in the absolute bedrock of our life, Jesus Christ. And so our big idea we'll align under this morning is that Jude wants to warn us against coasting in the Christian faith away from dependence on Christ. And instead calls us back to radical dependence on the God who has kept us for himself. This little word keeping that we'll see at the beginning and the end of Jude really unlocks the whole book. That though we're called to step out of faith and we're going to talk some real practicalities this morning, that it is Christ himself who keeps us, who, who is tending us. So let's look at the first point of our outline. The first is a warning against coasting. Uh, coasting away from Christ as our sinner. Now this echoes John 1, 2, and 3, where in the early church, Jesus had ascended to heaven. The church in those first decades was mostly orally telling Jesus' stories. They they would say, hey, I saw him. And so because I saw him, I'm telling Jesus' stories. We're constantly telling stories of Jesus of what we've seen ourselves. So it's constantly important for us to experience Christ himself. If you grew up in a Christian home, or your spouse is a Christian... Or your roommate's a real Christ-seeker. That's great. But how you see Christ is how the world will see you. And so, in the early church, they were telling Jesus stories. and, And then people would come in and start to move the message away from Christ. Constantly, then constantly now there's a temptation to move the the compass as we said last week off of Christ and onto something else some element of of justice or some some functionality of how the christian faith has been set up or some element of the church but the the the, the true north to our faith has always been christ himself and so jude says here he, he basically warns the church he spends the first 19 verses saying don't drift don't, don't drift away from the absolute center point of our faith. That, that this is our, our testimony, and we have a propensity to wander, to coast, to drift. And to, to exemplify this, Jude goes back into the Old Testament. And so he's writing this letter, probably for some of the churches, perhaps in Jerusalem, where his brother James is the pastor, perhaps in some other parts of Asia Minor. We don't exactly know, but he's saying to the early church, don't drift. Like, people have always had a propensity to drift. And so if you look at the first 20 verses, there's all these different stories, you could really lift up any of them, uh, of people that drifted away from God's best. They drifted away from, from obeying God and turning to their own desires, or to their own leadership, or to their own uh, idea how, how justice would be enacted. Look at, look at verse 11. Woe to them, they've taken the way of Cain, they've rushed for profit into Balaam's era, they've been destroying Korah's rebellion. He's literally listing three different Old Testament events in one verse. He's saying, When you look back, this is what the propensity of, of humanity does. Even God's best, we have an ability to drift. So Cain, you know, from from, from Adam's lineage, he turned to violence. And Balaam's error, he turned to preaching a lie. We have, we have this ability to kind of twist God's best and we stop believing in the truth. I often believe that, that we don't fall away from truthfulness in one huge cataclysmic event. It's often hundreds of small decisions. Is my word true? Because we're being formed in hundreds of small decisions. And in and, and, and small ways. And so he's warning, like, don't be like Balaam's era, where, where there was a uh, twisting of the truth or they've been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Korah's rebellion comes out of Numbers, Numbers 16, where, where leadership was trying to wrestle away from Moses into how we think we should do it. They end up dying. Because unity has always been testimony to God's spirit. And so in early, in early Israel, he said, hey, follow Moses. And when people try to wrestle control away, they would be met with, with death. And oftentimes that though it, it seems easier for us to fracture between whatever the issue of the day is, God is always calling us to stay in unity about the main thing of our faith. That God Himself, through Christ, is the center point. And so Jude is warning, you know, don't don't coast. Don't get away from the very fuel for our for our transformation. And to, to exemplify this, look at verses twelve and thirteen. There's some real warnings, I think play out for us today because oftentimes religious people are the most in danger of drifting well, what do i mean look at verse 12 and verse 13 so he's he's kind of jude is talking to the church he's saying you know people drift like sodom and gomorrah drifted and and cain drifted and it's just this propensity to turn towards our own ways and he said these people that have drifted are blemishes at your love feast the church services they're eating with you without the slightest qualm the shepherds who only feed themselves they are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, trees without fruit and uprooted, twice did. Their wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Now just a word about this illusion, the darkness has been reserved forever. We're, we're right or wrong, we're not a church that talks about heaven all the time. And, and sometimes, because the kingdom is both now and, and not yet, like someday we'll meet Jesus face to face. The book of Revelation says that Jesus will wipe every tear, that we'll be fully fulfilled in the presence of Christ Himself. And we believe as a church that Christ was calling us to embody the kingdom now, that we don't just wait for the afterlife, that somehow, some way we're meant to have Christ in us and be, be living this kingdom ethic now, that people would see Christ lived out in us. But in all the teaching about now, sometimes I fear that we forget about the not yet. That we forget we will stand face to face with Jesus himself. That those of us in the room that lost loved ones will hold them. What will it be like? I don't, I don't know. I can't tell you about how it will be when I meet my son. And, and his age and my age. And his embodied or unembodied. And, and there's a lot of mystery. But there will be someday. The scriptures are consistent that we will be with christ we will be there together and it will be beautiful and jude warns when we live a life without obeying christ without saying lord jesus i'm a sinner i want my life to be to be held in tension with you lord jesus live into me i want to spend the rest of my life following you that that decision means a great deal we talk an awful lot about sanctification that we understand more of christ in us day by day by day But let's also take a moment and say this thing is called justification. That when we're sinners, we are justified. We are made right with God through Christ. And if we've not been justified, the the fruit of that decision is a darkness that has been reserved forever. That's just what Jude says. But the warning here earlier is that ...people are gathered for religious worship without transformation. And then he goes into clouds without rain, trees without fruit... ...waves that are foaming, different examples and kind of allegories through nature. But he's saying that if your life doesn't bear the fruit of Christ... ...you should be warned. Because we are called to be on a transformation journey. That we are justified by faith but sanctified. That we are meant to be caring for one another... And not just showing up at the love feast unchanged, that each and every one of us are seeking to heed this warning and keep fueling on Christ himself. This is what the the message of these first 20 verses is. Do not drift. It echoes what what the writer of Hebrews would would later say, Hebrews 2, one beautiful verse, we must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard, so we do not drift away. Now, we can drift away sometimes because we're making sinful decisions. We're not obeying God. We're hurting people around us. We start to drift. We can also drift sometimes, quite frankly, as a church, into our own works, into our own busyness, and in our own efforts to be more like Christ, we start to put ourselves on the throne. It's really tempting to drift one way or the other, and we're called to be participating in life of faith, but never forgetting our center point is Christ. We can't drift. Uh, There's this this guy, as I studied this week, Lord Shaftesbury, he's he's called. He has this little quote that kind of was intriguing to me about not drifting from the life of faith. And so we have this quote, ready, go, to pull up about not drifting in the life. Thank you so much, Aaron. We are not here to play or to dream or to drift. We have hard work to do, says Shaftesbury, and loads to lift. Shun not the struggle. Face it. Tis God's gift. Some of us might react like, well, I, I kind of like to play too. I like to dream as well. But I love that he brings in here that we're not called to drift, that there is work to do in the life of faith. Embrace the struggle. Face it. There can be God's gift in that. God's gift. I got to share this message with all of the Edmunds Young Life leaders and committee yesterday. But it's interesting when Paul at the end of his ministry is in jail, the whole end of Acts, Acts 21 22 23 24 25 26 he's in jail and he just keeps telling his own story over and over again and he comes before a king king agrippa and he's standing in chains and he starts to give his testimony because the world cares less about what you think and how you live and so paul just says i just want to tell you what jesus did for me and he keeps telling his 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 experience with with christ and then he's standing before this king and he starts trying to kind of evangelize the king and the king says do you really think i'm going to come to faith with just you sharing and paul has the audacity standing in chains he's speaking to several kings here at the end of acts i believe it's acts 26 and he says i hope you become like me except for the chains because even our chains preach even the stuff we've been through testifies Even the stuff that you feel like it's breaking you when we continue to grow in faithfulness, when we stick with it, our chains preach. And our our brokenness preaches. And the way that we fail is like, man, I blew it yesterday. I blew it a week ago. I can't go back and change the past, though I spend a lot of my time thinking about it. And I'm obsessed about the future Christ has given me today. Give me this day a testimony of who you are in my life, Jesus, and use my chains to preach for you. Because all of us in the room, friends, are works in progress, fully formed, justified in Christ, but on a sanctification journey to be more and more and more like Jesus. And so the warning is do not drift from this life of faith, either in disobedience to the truth or in our own efforts. Now, who in the world is this Lord Shaftesbury? Interesting. During the 1800s in England, his name was Ashley Cooper. He was neglected and abused. His father bullied him. His father brought him to one boarding school trying to get his son in and beat him up in the 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 stairway of the school and said, maybe you can make more man of him than I can. I'm paraphrasing. Okay? This guy, Cooper, knew... His chains could preach. And because he had suffered hardship, he started to have a heart for the least of these in England. He went into government because of his Christian uh, faith. And then he he was learning how the the insane were being treated and being abused. And so he personally toured asylums and, and put reforms in place. And then he was worried about children working and chimney sweeping and, and being half-dressed. Children and women in this society time had no rights and he started to, to advocate them and started to speak out about sewage systems because the cholera outbreak was killing tens of thousands of people. He was, he was this activist and he was an activist for Jesus. He backed efforts to evangelize Eng- England and bring in different speakers And to speak out against slavery, both for for young boys and for young women, and to feed starving children. He knew housing was an issue because housing has been an issue for for people trying to to kind of move into a progression of a better life. And so when his father, this rich lord died, uh, Lord Shaftesbury kind of took over the property and built a bunch of tiny houses for the working poor. And all of it, you think... Man, this guy sounds, he sounds legit, right? This guy's like the real deal. But all of it for Shaftesbury was about a fierce conviction that Christ must be the center of a living faith. And so we can drift into disobedience and sinful behavior. We can drift into self-righteousness and busyness. Everything we do needs to speak that Christ is the center of our living faith. And when Shaftesbury died... Hundreds of thousands of peasants and working poor flooded the streets because they said, This shaftsbury treated me with respect. We are called to not coast away from the life of Christ in us and through us, and to keep Jesus as the main thing. And so the second point of your outline is how? How do we how do we refuel? How do we actually have a strategy for growth and dependence on him? Look at verse 20. Through twenty three, But you, Jude says, he makes this turn. He's warned, he's warned, he's warned, he's warned. But, verse 20, he takes a turn. How do you refuel in the life of faith? How will you refuel for this fall and school starting and, and new jobs and new adventures and new callings? How do we refuel? Verse 20, you friends, by building yourself up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit... Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. You see mercy and merciful both showing up here. Pretty interesting that mercy can be mission. That's encouraging to me. That even a heart of mercy for somebody that's wronged us can be mission. The, the mercy for the least of these in our community. Mercy when somebody in our church believes differently about us, about a political party. We can have mercy and it would be mission. Because it's actually putting our faith in action to have mercy. And so how do we have the the fuel for the road ahead? How do we refuel? Three words are on your outline. Pray, love, and serve. Let's look first at pray. Verse 20 and 21. How do we actually fuel for the road ahead. He says, "Build yourself up in the faith and pray in the Holy Spirit." And that these things aren't mutually exclusive ideas that we are built up in verse 20 and 21 as we pray in the Spirit. How? How do we how do we build ourselves up in the love of God? Jude says, "You pray in the Holy Spirit. You pray in the Spirit." Now, Romans 8, Paul says this, in Romans 8, 26, that when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit intercedes for us with groans and petitions. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians six eighteen, with prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. That we're called not to be praying out of our own desires constantly or out of our flesh... But in the Spirit, that at times we say, "Spirit, I don't even know how to pray about this issue." But can you take my words and my hunger for more of you in my life? And can you move? And we are tempted constantly to pray out of our own strength, out of our own needs. James four three says that kind of prayer will never work. The the prayer for our own gain, it says James four three, is fruitless. So when we're, when we're constantly going to Jesus, hey, I need this, and if you could do this, and when, when, when we're the center of the kingdom prayer, it will leave us hungry for the king. Prayers out of our own flesh in time are, are fruitless, but in contrast, prayers of the spirit is how we're called to build our faith up. How do we actually do that? It's, it's tricky, but it's like, how do we do this by the spirit? And This is not a Holy Spirit sermon, but I will tell you the Lord's been really working in my life to make me more and more hungry for the person of God present in the Spirit. Oftentimes we treat the Spirit as kind of the missing person of the Trinity, and it's a sin. Because over and over again in the Bible, it says that the Spirit is God himself. Galatians 5, walk by the Spirit. Romans 8, put death to sin by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, say Jesus is Lord by the Spirit. Philippians 3, worship by the Spirit. We need more Spirit. We need more of the Spirit in our lives. We need to be building ourselves up in the faith. We need more Spirit. And that's encouraging because you can't control the Spirit. I can't control the Spirit. But for many of us, our faith is so rational and so controlled. And the Spirit is just you know, kind of that missing, you know, the, the distant uncle that we haven't seen in some while. But the Scriptures are saying, Judah's saying here, build yourself up, pray in the Spirit. And I will confess, I'm beginning what will be a journey in this. More Spirit. Spirit, give me more of you in my life. I'm hungry for the Spirit to show up in my life. Now, this is a promise of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36 says, I will put my spirit. God says, I'll put my spirit in them. Now this is so stinking encouraging because I don't want to get into like when we get the spirit and will these other gifts come later. That's really not central here. When we accept Jesus as Lord, we, we receive his spirit, his indwelling presence of Christ as given by the spirit. We, we receive the spirit. What, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, he says this amazing thing. He says, Do you not know you're a temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Do you not know that? Like, that's a promise. You've received the Spirit. Do you not know? And we forget. I forget. And we're out there striving and earning and doing and proclaiming. And God says, don't you remember? I've put my Spirit in you. So pray in the Spirit. Pray to understand more of what the Spirit wants to do in you and through you. And so often our prayers about our own little kingdom, we don't want daily bread, we'll take steak and eggs with, you know, a side of dessert, and God's like, just be grateful for what I'm doing, and pray in the spirit that I would enlarge your heart to be fueled in Christ alone. But How? I mean, I'm, I'm no expert, but I'm hungry, and maybe that's step one, hungry for more spirit. And so I was out. Thinking about sharing this message with you and just praying all week. Spirit, teach me more about what does this mean? We pray by the Spirit. Pray by the Spirit, says Jude. And, and I got the opportunity Wednesday uh, to to fly fish down the Yakima River, down a drift boat. Took a couple guys, different story. We're fishing. And at the end of the day, you spend a lot of time thinking when you fish. That's why I love it. And we're, and we're casting flies. And we're standing in the river. And I'm standing kind of off of my own. It's kind of the last stretch before the pullout. And I'm like oh, I know how this story should end. Like, do you ever do that, where you tell God how he'll end the story? Like, oh, this would be wonderful, because we've been catching these little fish, but if I pray by the Spirit, and I keep casting this woolly bugger number five, like, oh God, I know what you'll do. So, you know, I'll cast, and I'll drift, and I'll pray by the Spirit, and there will be this huge, huge rainbow trout at the end. And then I'll be able to, like, hold that fish up to you, the church, and be like, God provides, you know, and... And, I, like, I'm naming how he's going to answer it. And, and it didn't happen. Like, there was no huge rainbow trout. Because even when we pray by the Spirit, and I was like, I had the best of intentions. Trust me, I did. I wanted it to be for God's testimony. But let me be honest. I just also really wanted to catch a huge trout. Like, I was, right? So we, we pray by the Spirit, and, and we have to trust, we have to trust what God wants to give us. We have to trust That God loves to wind some stories up this way and other stories we're still waiting for resolution. But we're called to cast and to pray and to build ourselves up. People of faith, if you want fuel for the journey ahead, pray more. Pray with me as a church that we would pray more. I just, I mean, I could talk about prayer all morning with you. I don't have that much time. But let me just share this a little bit because I got to share it with the staff on Monday, Tuesday, we had a North Staff retreat for the fall ahead. I got to talk to this Young Life leaders yesterday, and I'm just telling everybody I meet right now, I want, I want you to see this because this is really cool. So this is about prayer in, in, in Luke 11, all right? And in, in Luke 11, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Because when you pray, the world is watching. And you're like, well, what about Matthew 6? Don't pray in such a way that people, well, I'm not saying like, make a big deal of yourself but I'm saying pray like pray at school school starting hey we're stressing on this test do you mind if I say a little prayer like your friends are watching pray when you get in a car accident with the person that's going right. like I don't even know what to do right now do you mind if I just I'm gonna just pray and then we'll make we'll make that next call your, your kids are watching you in the chaos to just hey we're gonna take a moment and pray and I know it still feels like this the world friends is watching So Jesus prays, the disciples watch, because everyone's always watching. Then Jesus teaches the Luke version of... Lord's Prayer. I don't have time to go into it, but it's good. You should read it this week. And at the end of this section, Jesus has this, you know, ask and you will be given, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be open to you. The ask, seek, knock thing that many of us know. Sandwich between ask, seek, knock and the Lord's Prayer is a parable. A little parable. Now, I love Jesus' storytelling abilities. I like to tell stories myself. Jesus is the master. He's the master storyteller. He tells some amazing stories. And Lord Jesus, bless my little heart here. I'm not trying to be you know, ir- religious, whatever. But this was not one of your best stories. It's just a, kind of a weird story. In Luke 11, there's a guy with bread, someone else comes, whatever. The story's not the world's best. But in the story, Jesus says that the, 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 the man needing something, needing bread, needing fuel, needing something to sustain him, gets it, and this phrase pops, friends. Luke 11, verse 8, that because you ask with shameless audacity, you will surely get up And the man will give you what you need. And I never read that. Those words never popped to me like they have this week. Shameless audacity. That when we pray by the Spirit, we're called to have a shameless audacity to our prayer life. Are you shameless and audacious when you pray to the Lord your God? Because Jude says, build yourself up in the faith. How? Pray more. Be shameless. Be audacious. The next thing he says is is love. Now Jude says... Keep yourself in the love of God. It's pretty simple. Verse 21, keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. How do, how do we do that? I, I, I'm kind of running short of time here, but I just want to share an illustration, maybe be helpful for you. Uh, you know, typically we have some flight attendants in the audience, so I'm very grateful for your service. You're a missionary on planes around America. Thank you. Uh, But often, I'll confess, when you're doing your thing with the seatbelt and the whole thing, I'm not listening. Like, I've got headphones on. Am I alone? I'm on my phone. They're like, you got one minute and you're like trying to do it, right? Like, you're not really listening. But this summer, I took a plane trip and I was like, I was really listening. Because when the oxygen masks drop, they tell you if you're traveling with someone, you know, impaired or a younger child, what do they tell you to do? What do you do with the mask? Who gets the first mask? You do. You do. Now that's counterintuitive to every mother in the room, because if there's any bit of food and your kids like, can I have a bite? You're like, mm, all right, you know, like I don't really want like. Right? We have this. We have this way we're wired that we're constantly providing for other people, and even this deal is super counterintuitive. No, I've, I've got four kids. If man, if the stuff hits the fan and those puppies pop, my instinct is to give everyone else oxygen. But this, the reality is if I don't have something to breathe, my, breathe myself, I'll never make it to care for them. And so many of us have reverse engineered our lives where we're constantly making sure that everyone around us has the oxygen they need. Aging parents, I'm always on call for them. The spouse that um, feels like I'm always there for you emotionally. The kids, oh the kids, right? It's been a long summer. I mean, I, like, I'm just running around giving oxygen. But Jesus says, keep yourself in the love of God. If you don't drink from the source, you'll have nothing to share with the world. Especially convicting of this is ministry staff. Because man, we're out giving oxygen for a living, taking kids to camp and leading Bible studies and doing this. If we don't keep ourselves in the oxygen, friends, we will have nothing to share. Keep yourself. In the oxygen of Christ himself, breathe it in in the season. Breathe it in. Get into his word. Breathe it in. Pray by the spirit. Breathe it in. Worship him with open hands. And may that be an oxygen to the world that needs it so desperately. That you would have something to to serve others with. And finally, Jude says, serve. Be merciful and serve others. The message translates verse 22 and 23 be tender with sinners but not soft on sin. The sin itself stinks to high heaven. We're aware of that every single week at the junction. We have really, really strong boundaries so that we can root out the addiction but love the people there. This week we were fortunate enough to have a meeting at Shoreline, the city hall, with the uh, coffee shop and the police chief and the city planner and the city's business development person and all of us around, just people of need in our community. And everyone's there for the same reason. They want to see people transform. But we're not going to go soft uh, on drug use on our streets and in our parking lot. and you No, know, we're going to root it out. And God is calling, through Jude, calling us to remember that that when we're, we're merciful to those who are doubting, when we're merciful to those who are struggling to find that we can show mercy, but also say, hey, I love you too much to continue in your life of sin. I'm going to show mercy to you. I'm going to tell you about the good news of Jesus. I'm going to be here for you because I've had a little oxygen myself. I've, I've had a chance to breathe. Now I'm going to reach out to you. But if you're on a path into this eternal darkness, I'm going to speak out because I love you too much to, walk, to watch you destroy yourself. Now, be merciful. Love yourself from God and love others and pray in the Spirit. And that leads to this promise from Jude. That there is one able to keep us. This this promise, this book is really hinged around this promise. If you have your Bibles, look with me at Jude, Jude verse 1. And then we'll look at the end. Jude, a servant of Christ, brother James, to those who have been called who are loved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. All right, that word... Kind of unique. We don't use that word kept a lot. Look at the end. Verse 24, 25. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Because following God should be a great joy to us. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before the ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Jude begins and ends his book with a reminder. You are kept. By the one who is able to keep you. You don't keep yourself. No, you're called to participate in prayer by the Spirit and and remembering God's love. But we are kept by God's love. We are kept by by the Savior who is writing a story in our life. And to exemplify this, I'm going to flip back to Philippians 3. Because Paul has this remarkable verse... He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know Philippians 3, verse 10. I want to know the power of his resurrection, and I want to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Because though we don't talk about it very often, there is a justification. We want to be resurrected with Christ at the end. And verse 12, not that I've already attained all this, or that I've already arrived at my goal, because it's a sanctification journey. Everyone in the room's on a journey. Even, even the great Paul says, I haven't arrived, but I pressed on get this i've never seen this before philippians three twelve. i press on i know that part to take hold of that i know that part for which christ jesus took hold of me we press and we step and we cling but the work has already been done jesus has already taken a hold of me or as jude says we've been kept for him and by him And if your Christian faith seems like it just is is too much work sometimes, the reminder from Jude is that we are being kept by Christ himself. That in verse 24 and 25 of, of Jude is this reminder that it's all about Jesus who is able to keep us from stumbling and that he presents us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. He'll present you. He'll present you. Like he'll present you. You don't present yourself. You don't keep yourself. You're called to be stepping into the journey, but he will present you himself. How encouraging is that? What good news is that for this for this change of seasons as we're stepping into. And and I was thinking about even this morning that there were called a different word from being kept is to tend. And we're called to be tended by Christ and, and tend our lives, but not toil. And the difference between toiling and tending is the expectation of fruitfulness. When we toil, it means life just feels there's no joy, it's all work, I'm not experiencing any transformation, but when we tend the gifts God has given, when we tend our families or our friends at school, when we tend, God, you've given me some opportunities, I want to tend these, Lord, because you're the God who's tended me. There's an expectation, there's a, how does the Bible say, shameless audaciousness. That marks our faith life. That Christ is in us. That we are enough. That we've been given the spirit. That we're growing in such a way. There's a warning not to drift. There's a promise that the center point of our faith remains Christ. And that is the fuel to get us to all the places we're going. That's good news for us, the church, for the road ahead. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for these people. These men and women, young and old. And we pray that you would give us a, a, a conviction, Lord, that it's you that's keeping us. Lord, we, we pray that you would keep us well. That you would remind us in these last days of August that you're, you're, you're keeping us. And that our faith outside of you is, is, is null and void. Lord, for those drifting into disobedience, bring them back. And encourage them to center on the life of faith. To those drifting into busyness and to, to self-righteousness. And where they're out just doing all this stuff with no oxygen. Lord, bring them back. And let them drink from the source that is just, there's a reminder. They're not earning you. You've already earned them. And we don't want to be just sprinting and coasting and crazy. and No, we want to be Christians becoming more like you. So, encourage us, Lord, to center our life upon you. And, and just may this be encouraging to this church that you're keeping us, growing us, all for your glory. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you're doing through this community. And all God's people said, Amen. Will you stand with us as we close in song? And uh, as always, there's some prayer people down front if you want to pray or if you just want to sing. May as we sing, you be reminded. It's him keeping you, it's him tending you, it's him growing you. May you say yes and continue to build your life, drink from the source that is Christ himself. Let's sing together.